Engaging Leader, Episode 206, Supporting Employee Mental Health During a Pandemic, featuring Dr. William Kassler from IBM. Brought to you by the team at Workforce Communication. Find out more at WorkforceCommunication.com. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Today we'll be talking with Dr. William Kassler. He's the Deputy Chief Health Officer at IBM, which has a 350,000-person global workforce. We'll be talking about measures that IBM and other major companies are taking during the COVID-19 pandemic, including and especially focusing on recommendations for employee mental health. In a recent poll, 43% of respondents said their emotional well-being had gotten worse as more people have been dealing with isolation. And as we try to keep ourselves and our families safe and cope with the stress of physical isolation and disrupted routines, you know, there's feelings of isolation and anxiousness and loneliness that are all very common. And it's important that we can experience and deal in healthy ways with those feelings. And then for people with anxiety, depression, other mental health challenges, coping with this additional stress just can aggravate the underlying conditions. So this is obviously a timely topic, talking about how can companies, as well as individuals, support mental health during this challenging time. Dr. William Kessler is a medical doctor and epidemiologist. He's the Deputy Chief Health Officer for IBM. He's been a practicing primary care internist, as well as being a health services researcher and a public sector administrator and health policy expert. And if you like reading these geeky kind of stuff, he's been published in the American Journal of Public Health. Dr. Kessler, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So you are working from home today, as we as we all are, most of us around the country. Yeah. And you're in a room that you, it's your office, but until recently, you haven't really focused on it as an office. No, this is just a, one of the kids' bedrooms. Um, uh, we're empty nesters. And we had kind of junked it up a bit. We had boxes all around of kids' stuff and uh, some clothes we were going to donate. And um, I typically, when I use the office, have been signing in by, uh, by telephone. And now with the new culture, I, I feel obligated to establish that connection, have a video. But that meant I had to do a fair amount of cleaning. <laughs> So I'm I'm a, like a halfway to empty nest, uh, but but with with COVID nineteen and the self quarantine, I've got like uh, suddenly kids back at home, and so that's one of our adjustments is we suddenly have a lot more people uh, and yeah. less space, and we're doing a lot more looking at each other than <laughs> we're used to. So that's been an adjustment. Yeah. Uh, so I have a I have my youngest is a college senior. Um, and he was on uh, spring break at home, thankfully, not in Florida or any um, high volume place. And uh, we, we got the notice, don't come back. Um, no graduation. Uh, don't come back. You'll do everything remotely. So um, having been four years as an empty nester, it is, it is an adjustment. But I'll, I'll tell you something, Jesse, um, as we try to look at the silver lining, um, as we try to frame things in, in, in the positive, it, it, is, it is a joy as well to have him home and safe and get to know him as an adult. So it's the new normal. Yeah. So it's the new normal at 
IBM too. What does that look like these days? You got several. You got a few hundred thousand people globally, and what's going on there? We have over three hundred and fifty thousand employees across the globe, and and I just learned that more than ninety five percent of IBMers are now working from home. So what a huge adjustment. We were a culture, we're a business to business company. So we had a culture of going to the clients, um, being on site. I used to joke that my office was seat 9A on American Airlines. <laughs> and um, that's no longer uh, an option these days. So we are learning to do things through tech. We are learning to do things remotely. We are trying to connect socially with ourselves, with our clients. Um, and like everyone else, uh, we're we're trying to be resilient. How what what's IBM been doing to help mitigate the the sort of employee well being concerns that are popping up? It's no secret everybody is talking about across the country how difficult and challenging these uncertain times are. So one of the key focuses that IBM had prior to the pandemic was looking at mental health. Mental health is a, a huge issue but it has been a hidden issue. Turns out that one in five Americans suffer from some form of mental health. That's 43 million adults. They bring that into the workplace. Uh, Workplaces can either make it better or make it worse. And so prior to the pandemic, IBM was working with a number of other companies to try to understand this, to try to reduce the stigma. Now along comes the pandemic. There's social distancing, there's isolation, there's stress. We are all worried about having to cope with the disruption in our lives um, and fear of the pandemic in terms of catching the infection, worry about our loved ones. So that adds stress for folks who don't have mental health issues. So IBM has really been thinking about this a fair amount and, and we're working. We can dive into some of the um, things that we're doing, but um, uh, this is a key issue for us. Yeah, I I was thinking you mentioned silver lining earlier, and in terms of the stigma attached to mental health, it seems like one of the silver lining is I'm noticing, like on social media and elsewhere, people are just much more willing to talk about the under the the, the emotional stuff, and right. so it's if, if that obviously creates a healthier environment. If I can say. You know, it's not all good for me right now. It's, I'm kind of feeling crappy, <laughs> and it's okay to talk about that. I, I, I agree. And then there's the issue of stigma in mental health. When we think about us versus them, we can say, okay, well, people have a mental health diagnosis. That's them, right? It turns out not to be because it impacts so many of us and our families, um, but it's easier to stigmatize. When we're all in this together, when we're all stressed, um, I think it brings us together. And my real hope is that on the other side of the pandemic curve, um, that we can bring some of that inclusivity, that willingness to talk, um, and, and that we'll get the glow from that afterwards. Yeah, that is interesting. Can we maintain the we're in this together? It's not it's not your problem or my problem, but it's part it's the human journey. Yeah. yeah, we're all just trying to navigate life the best we can based on what we know today. Yeah. Yeah, so what are let's dig into what are some of the things that IBM's doing. So, I'd like to kind of bifurcate this if you will into what people can do and how we can address people and kind of programs and and policies. 
um, if you will. So let's stop. Let's start about IBM as an employer, as programs and policies. But I hope we can circle around to, to talk about what individuals can do and what we're urging individuals to do to, for, for self-care. Sounds great. In terms of an approach, I tend to think about this as assess, triage, refer, and implement. So assessing, we are looking at what our capabilities are as an organization. What our policies, our programs, how are we able to serve our employees in this important area? There are resources out there um, that um, the American Heart Association, for example, has come up with a workplace health assessment index um, that is a self tool for employers to look at how well we are doing against best practices and evidence-based practices. The Centers for Disease and C Control and Prevention that we're now thinking about as um, infectious disease pandemic advice, um, they also have information around mental health and what companies can be doing. So part of that is a self-assessment. Part of that then is an ability to take and have individuals come to us and assess themselves as well as individuals. But getting back to the programs and policies, um, once we assess that, we can provide um, employee assistance program. Uh, we can offer tools and counseling and referrals to services. Uh, there are mHealth apps, and I hope we can dive into the technology as well because we are a tech, um, but, but we have um, apps that we can use. We have, uh, we have to train our employee, uh, our managers, our leadership in terms of how to be sensitive, how to destigmatize, how to be inclusive um, uh, around mental health, and how to make our workplace less toxic, if you will. Um, I think that's a question that we all should make. How can we, um, as employers, make our workplace helpful and not harmful? Uh, when it comes uh, to mental health. Even to ask that question, it's such a vulnerable question. Most employers would not even be willing to go there because, well, of course we're not toxic. We're, we do everything fine. And uh, I'm sure a lot of attorneys might say, you shouldn't even be saying that out loud to suggest that there might be some toxicity. We're going you know, to have some litigation coming out of that. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think we have to own it. We all have to own it. We have to have a culture of, of improvement of self-reflection, and of growth. I love it, yeah. So do you already have, are you getting any data in terms of utilization of things like uh, EAP? Are, are employees actually using those programs at a higher level now so far? So I don't, but that's not my role at IBM. We have um, a, a medical officer that implements these that tracks them, that does them. We are a very data-driven company. I just can't share them with you now because that's just not what I do, my role within the company. But I would like to pivot and, and continue the last question by saying that another way in which companies can really make a difference in terms of the health care that we purchase for our employee. We, um, it's called value-based insurance design, but we, companies, have a fair amount of influence in terms of the access to and the quality of the health care that our employees receive as a benefit. So we can make a difference in terms of making sure that the health plans that we purchase and the options that uh, our employees have 
um, have robust mental health services on a par with the quality and the access for physical health services. So huge policy issue in addition to the programmatic. You're right. That's often just been an afterthought, just a, a carve out or a something that uh, most companies don't think about at all. And, and because most employees don't maybe think about it or talk about it. So it hasn't seemed like a valuable offering. And, and probably the coronavirus pandemic is bringing to light the, the greater importance. And I think employees will start seeing like, I'm, I'm proud that my company has a robust offering, not just for physical health, but for mental well-being as well. Exactly. Where do you want to go next? Let's talk about mental health and, and individuals. One of my roles in the company, I, I do office hours. When we, and, and this is just post-pandemic, I hadn't done this prior. <laughs> um, but this idea that all of our employees are now disparate, they're worrying about themselves, they're worrying about their families, and then they have the added stress. I mean, I talked trivially about, trivially about having to clean up my office. Um, but for single parents or uh, for two working parents that have kids at home that are toddlers or in school, um, the added stress of then having to be a homeschooler, of having the kids running through the office as they're talking. So, so post-pandemic, I've, I've opened up office hours and I've tried to think about and share ways in which individuals can reduce their stress. And, and I make three points. The first is fear, the second res, uh, resilience, and the third is self-care. So fear is an evolutionary response to danger. It alerts us, pay attention, there's something out there that can harm you. Our animal brain then has a fight or flight. We have that adrenaline surge, mostly we run away, but once that adrenaline surge is over, we're done. Our human brain though, more complex, we create a plan, we assess the danger, um, we create a plan and we implement that plan. After we do that, the fear is no longer helpful and it can actually be harmful. To have that sustained adrenaline response, that sustained fear can lower our performance and cause physiologic harm. So understanding that can help us to achieve a new equilibrium. And that's what resilience is about. So resilience is our ability to bounce back and recover from trauma and adapt and achieve that new equilibrium. It's not that the trauma and the adverse circumstances don't hurt, they aren't stressful, but our ability to cope and to bounce back is resilient. Resilience is not a trait or something that's inherited. Resilience is a skill that can be learned and developed like a muscle. So there are certain things that can do that, and that brings me to my third point, which is self-care. So self-care are ways in which we can build resilience. Like when we used to fly um, and they would, that announcement, when the mask comes down, put it on yourself first before okay. helping others. We can't help others. We can't do a good job at work in our families unless we take care of ourselves. So uh, hobbies, doing things that we like, carving out that time to um, achieve some normality, making sure we eat right, we sleep right, we have physical activity as part of our daily routine. We talked earlier about framing things in the positive. So this is very stressful, but there are things to be grateful for. Having our kids home and safe, being able to maybe carve a little bit of time out to appreciate a sunny day or, or a bird, uh, you know, it, it, 
the beauty in life, and, and then making sure that we have purpose in our lives. So um, having a meaningful accomplishment, be that um, doing something at work, um, something around the house, helping someone else, but having that sense of purpose. And lastly, um, uh, you know, just finding something to be grateful for. So those are all things that we, we can help to achieve resilience. So fear, resilience, and self-care. Tell me a little bit more about fear in terms of, is that when you, when you mention that topic, is that for people just to have some awareness? Like, hey, let's just notice the fear and not try to ignore it or get too caught up in it? So if we understand that that fear and anxiety can be mitigated by having a plan, by acting on that plan, by knowing, okay, I've got enough food for two weeks. That's what they're telling me I need. So I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to, when I go to the grocery store and see the empty shelves, I, I don't, I, you get caught up. We're social beings. You get, even though we know I have enough toilet paper, it's like, oh God, I can't find it. Um, you know, so we do get caught up. Um, I'm a news junkie. I have to pull myself away from reading about COVID because even as a physician and an epidemiologist and a CDC-trained infectious disease epidemiologist, I can sometimes get caught up in this. So I have to remind myself, I have a plan. I'm acting on that. I'm continuing to assess the risk. The fear and anxiety don't help. Yeah, I, I think it's also helpful... I'm really right. What you're saying is resonating with me. And, and then I'm also kind of remembering a lot of the anxiety that I've felt through the COVID crisis mm-hmm. and creating a plan and following the plan is also this aspect of serenity and just recognizing there are just some things that are out of my control and I can only, I can only control so much and I've got to sort of surrender the rest and right. I can only do one thing at a time. Like I have limits. I can't go do everything today. <laughs> and it's hard to focus on one thing at a time. So it's sort of ha- recognizing the human limits of, of the plan is is been helpful. So I'm not, I'm an internist. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, but there's a fair amount of mental health in every primary care practice, depression, anxiety. One of the most effective non-pharmaceutical interventions is behavioral cognitive therapy. And uh, for people with anxiety or depression, and also for people who don't have those conditions but are stressed as well, you can rewire the brain by framing things in the positive, by having that self-talk, by continually reminding ourselves, you know, fear is the enemy. I've got my plan. I'm acting on it. Think about the happy place. Be grateful. Do the self-care. Those are the things that trained counselors will work on for people who bring a mental health challenge to the table. And they'll work for those of us who don't have those challenges as well. Are there any other tips or advice that company leaders might find helpful to know in helping employees deal with the pandemic? There's an old quote that says, culture beats strategy every time, or culture eats strategy for lunch, or something along that line. It's easy to get into all right, here are the programs, here are the policies in place and a list of of strategic things to do. But it's been my experience in in healthcare that it's creating the culture that is the hardest thing to do, uh, but that is probably the most important thing to do. And, and, And culture comes from the top. It's set from the top. It's an investment that leaders have in people 
It's creating the infrastructure uh, that allows all of the programs and policies. Um, it means holding people accountable for their behavior. And, and I think everything comes from a culture of acceptance, of, of, of welcoming diversity, of reducing uh, stigmatization. And it's something that everybody from the leaders and the managers down to the frontline employees need to embrace and be held accountable for. Where can people find out more about you, maybe follow what you're doing or what IBM is doing? So IBM has a robust website. I would urge people to go on to the website and search. We have our IBV reports. We have one that just came out a few weeks ago on mental health and technology. We have another one on social isolation and aging. Um, I'm available on LinkedIn, William Kassler. And I don't have a robust social media presence, but I'm learning. I'm being dragged, kicking and screaming into, into this, which is kind of ironic for a tech guy. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> yeah. Well, and for, for those who are listening, uh, I, I did follow you on Twitter. So if, if folks want to grab you on Twitter, that your handle is KasslerMD, Kassler with a K. Yeah. And, and so I'm more, more um, engaged on LinkedIn, but I, 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 I do very. Um, and, and I probably ought to pay more attention to, to Twitter as well. But th- that's a good reminder um, that in this day and age of social distancing, social media is hugely important. I, I like to say, um, you know, the epidemiologists call it social distancing. I like to say it's physical distancing. Just because we're physically distanced doesn't mean we have to be socially distanced. I like that. I have been trying to remind people just because we need to have social distancing doesn't mean we need to be isolated. Yeah. Uh, socially isolated, but I like the way you said that. Um, it's physical distancing. It doesn't have to be. How did you say that one more time? <laughs> Just because we're practicing physical distancing doesn't mean we have to be socially distant. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode. And the first part of my conversation with Dr. Kessler, we continued to talk about specific mental health apps and online services that companies can provide for their employees. And rather than putting that episode in the Engaging Leader podcast, we're going to publish that in our separate podcast series, which is Workforce Health Engagement. If you don't already have that, you can find that in the Apple Podcast Store, in Google Play, as well as on Spotify and Stitcher, um, and on our website at engagingleader.com. Just look for Workforce Health Engagement in the podcast tab, or you can go directly to that episode. As soon as we publish it, it will be at engagingleader.com forward slash WHE34, as in Workforce Health Engagement, episode 34. And in terms of everything that Dr. Kessler mentioned in this first part of the episode, you can find all that information on our websites at engagingleader.com forward slash 206, as in episode 206. This is a production of Workforce Communication. We're a team of consultants and creatives using the power of communication to help organizations enhance the well-being and performance of their people. My colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, fully engage employees, and achieve superior business results in several areas, including employer branding, talent management, wellness, benefits and compensation, business transformation, and more. Find us at workforcecommunication.com. Our thanks to Cecily Leahy, our producer, Jamie Barnes, Tom Hitchcock, and Jenny Kalenda from our social media team, JJ Leahy from our video and graphic design team, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Betsy Leahy, our sound and video editor. Until next time, remember, the people changing the world today aren't just leaders, 
their engagers. 